this, I know this is the Lord. That last week there was a confirmation. Was I think it was Monday. Um, we have this devotional my wife and I do from uh, Jennifer LeClaire, writes for Charisma. Um, and it turns out the exact scripture that I was looking at, reading out of Matthew 18, she was also quoting on the morning as we're having, and my wife says, well, that's your sermon, right? <laughs> so, yes, ma'am. And so, um, the power of agreement. I want us to look at um, this principle, which is, I think it's going to be very obvious when we look at some of the, the basis of it, but it, it, is, uh, it has the ability, if people will come together in agreement, it's almost possible for you to do anything. In fact, that's what Scripture says, which means that there's power in agreement, but there's also power in disagreement. There's tremendous power in disagreement. Look at a business, a family, a church. Just when there is disagreement across relational uh, boundaries, man, it is destructive. And uh, so I want us to look at kind of boil this down, the power of agreement. If you, if you think about it, agreement with God is actually super powerful. Another way of saying this is, if you will come into agreement with God, if you'll do what God asks you to do, a few weeks ago I read out of Deuteronomy 30, right? I set before you life and death. Oh, that you would choose life and live, and you and your descendants would live. But if you choose, heaven and earth will witness the choices you make, and it will bring curses or blessings in either way. So he puts that free will choice in front of us. So if we come into agreement with God, we actually come into obedience with his word. He can't help but release the promise and blessing. That's what he says over and over again. But the opposite is, all, the, the opposite is also true. If you come into disagreement with God, you come under not his blessing. And so... We could change the title of this power of agreement to agreement with God is super powerful, but also agreement with others is also powerful. So let's look at a couple of scriptures here. Let's open with Matthew 18. This scripture is used often in, uh, actually in powerful prayer, in agreements. It also deals with uh, someone who has sinned against you, gives you the direction. We call it Matthew 18, go to your brother privately and deal with your hurt and your wound if that doesn't work, bring a witness. If that doesn't work, bring some leadership or bring it to the church and elevate it. But I want to pick up on the principle in Matthew 18. This is the red letter. Obviously, Jesus is speaking here. Let's look at verse 18. It's actually the title, Matthew 18, and let's begin in 18. It says, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus. Jesus says, I want to tell you some truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. That seems pretty powerful, right? Some of you, you're the King James, that's New Living translation. The King James says, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now let's pick up on the next part. Verse 19. I also tell you, this is going back to I tell you this truth, that you have power in what you do and allow or not allow. But it also says, I also want to tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask my Father in heaven, he will do it for you. For where two or three of you gather together as my followers, 
I am there among them. So let's, let's unpack this. First of all, you see here, Jesus is talking to believers that are in agreement. He's talking to his children. We who are of like faith, if two of you of like faith will come in agreement, praying to the Father, praying to the Father, I'll bring about such a powerful connection that the things that you allow or disallow or forbid will not be permitted on earth or in heaven. Why? Because he says, when two or three of you come together in prayer, now this is an option, they've come together as believers in prayer around a circumstance, asking Father, because where he is, where two or three of you gather in his name, he's in the middle of it, right? He's among us. So that means we have really good connection when we're in prayer. It's not, it, it, it deals with all the humility and arrogance. We come and asking, Lord, what do you want to do with this? And the power in two agreement, there's just good, good agreement. You ever, when I worked for uh, the naval nuclear business, one of the things they would teach us is you have better agreement as a group than you do as an individual. And they did this thing called the lifeboat drill. That the ship is sinking and you got 10 minutes to decide which of the next eight items you're going to have on your lifeboat that's going to cause you to survive or die over the next 30 days that you're in the water. And so they have us, they give us this list of like 30 items that you can bring on your lifeboat and they have you do it individually. So you get down the list and, you know, there's this, this crazy stuff. Flare gun, there's a fishing line, a fifth of whiskey, you know, it's got all the water. And they, they do it over and all of the, the group does it individually. And then they say, okay, now break out groups of six or eight and together work as a team to put together what you're going to bring in the lifeboat. And guess what? The team group always beats the individual. Because there's, there's a greater experience, there's a greater understanding, different backgrounds, and we come together. If we're in agreement, we're, first of all, going into a lifeboat for 30 days, a life or death situation, you get kind of focused, right? When you're really focused, it's like, this is important, let's come together, it cuts out all the other noise, what do we need to bring? What do you think? What do you think? What, yeah, yeah, we're in agreement, I'm in agreement, I think that's good. Let's, and they put it together, and God is saying that same principle here. If two or three of you will come, I'll be here, and then if you'll pray to me, I'll release such a revelation of powerful truth, there'll be great agreement, and I'll move for you. That's what he says. Okay, understanding that principle, let's look at some reinforcement. Turn with me to Leviticus. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 26. This is very similar to what Deuteronomy 28 deals with, blessings and curses. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, in fact, the, the whole start of this chapter is called Blessings for Obedience. Would you like to be blessed? Yeah. Then be obedient. Oh, I don't like that word. Okay, well, it goes on and says, don't do this, don't do this, and do this. Let's pick up in... Well, let's pick up in verse 5. Um, 
It goes, the threshing season will overlap the grape harvest. In other words, you're going to have so much blessing in your fields that you're not going to be able to harvest all that you're getting. The season of planting grain, you'll eat your fill and live securely in the land. That's awesome. I will give you peace in the land, and you'll be able to sleep without cause of fear. I will rid the land of wild animals, keep your enemies out of your land. In fact, verse 7, now look at this, in fact... You will chase down your enemies and slaughter them with swords. Five of you will chase a hundred. And a hundred of you will chase 10,000. All your enemies will fall beneath you. Why? Verse 9 is, I will look favorably upon you, making you fertile and multiplying you as a people. So there's this blessing of agreement that comes. And see the exponential power that's used? Well, let's look at a negative. In Deuteronomy, actually, we wouldn't have to turn there. Deuteronomy 32, in the top of your outline, it says, as we discover the unity at a deeper level, we also understand the destructive power of strife. There is exponential power in unity, as we saw in Leviticus. If five can put 100 to flight and 100 of you can put 10,000 to flight. In Deuteronomy 32, 30, it talks about when God is angry at his people, when they've been disobedient, it says the enemy, one can chase a 1,000 and two can put 10,000 to flight. So this is that blessing in favor of the Lord. I wanted to put both sides of this uh, trail marker here so that we see that if we're not operating in, in agreement with God and in, in obedience to God, then the enemy can also multiply his disasters against us. Believers' unity is pleasant and also receives the commanded blessing from the Lord. We spoke about this at men's group the other uh, Monday night, and I think John Mables was telling me he got a book, right, The Commanded Blessings of God. And so I have just captured this Psalm 133. It's right there in the bold. It's a very short psalm, but I want you to hear what God says about unity among the believers. How wonderful, this is God, how wonderful and pleasant, it's not only pleasant, it's wonderful. When brothers, he's speaking of family unity in the spirit realm, when believers, brothers, live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head ran down on his beard and onto the border of his robe. Now, if you think about it, that was the anointing that was given to the high priest, Aaron, that, that fragrance, think of the fragrance when you smell the anointing oil. There's a wonderful, it says, God said, it's so wonderful. It's like when Aaron was anointed as the high priest and it poured over his head and I came up to heaven. It was the anointing, it says, that, that fragrance, that, that aroma, it ran down. It says, it's also as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon. You think of substance. You think of uh, it's not dry. It's, it's, it's fulfilling that place. Mount Hermon is a special anointed place in Israel that falls on the mountains of Zion. Amen. See, from Lord, the, the Lord's perspective, that's really good. That's how awesome when brothers dwell, live together in unity, it's just like all of that. And then here's what the Lord says. When that happens, here's what I'm going to do. The Lord pronounces or commands his blessing 
even life everlasting. So we see when, when brethren come together in unity, unifying people together. Well, let's look at how the Lord looks at humanism and the destruction of people that come together for the wrong purposes. We could list a few of those uh, in the last few years in our nation as far as laws. But let's turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 11. Familiar scripture about the Tower of Babel. But I want to extract from this what the Lord says when people in a humanistic, man-focused, bless me and not recognizing God, here's what the Lord says can happen, and he's, he actually scrambles it all up. The Tower of Babel, verse, 11, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11 of Genesis. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language. They used the same words. And as the people migrated east, they found the plain of the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire in this region. Bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they speak the same language. After this, nothing that they set out to do will be impossible for them. See the power? Especially when you can look at regimes when the Nazis came together with a single purpose, they put in place a murdering dictator, and the consequences of that we still remember. So what does the Lord say? He says, you know, how I'm going to handle this? I'm going to confuse these people with different languages, and they won't be able to understand each other. So the Lord scattered them, and they called the place Babel. They started babbling. In fact, the Babylonians, the Tower of Babel, and the, that, that confusion, that chaos that came. But I wanted to, to see that God himself says, man, I brought this ability of people to come together in language agreement when they speak the same language, when we're connecting, and then we're in unity together. Man, you can do all sorts of things. So that's both good and bad. So let's look at this, this power of agreement. Number one, it's the unified people that set out to do even that which was impossible. The power of agreement, we looked at that in Matthew 18. Number three, the dis destructive power of strife and disagreement. How about divorce? When a husband and wife stop communicating, stop agreeing, start getting offended, what happens? This power in the breaking and strife. Civil war. What happened in our own country in civil war when there was disagreement over principles that were not righteous? Relational separation, racism, hatred, business failure, military weakness. You know, there's a reason when you're in the military and they have a hierarchy of command, it's not so like, hey, let's go take that hill and the pri privates, well, no, I don't really want to do that. There's, there's no power in it, right? There has to be power in the agreement. There has to be focus in the vision. There has to be a hierarchy of decision-making. And so 
we see what's going on right now in our country, and please pray for the president. There is tremendous food fight going on in the spirit. And so we need to pray for righteous unity to prevail, right? We want to see righteous unity prevail. Well, let's look at another scripture. Um, Turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 3. In fact, um, Ron Burcham puts out a daily scripture, and uh, this morning it was Colossians 3. I texted him, I said, you got it, Ron, that's one of our scriptures this morning. And so I love that when the Lord confirms a lot of what, this scripture, you could just take that whole chapter and it says, basically, look past the differences that you see in others. Let's look at Colossians 3. Let me just pick up, I won't read the whole thing, but let's, um, it's just a powerful scripture. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where your real life is hidden. Verse 5, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking Within you. I love the way that language comes out. Put to death. In other words, you take the sword to the earthly, sinful, lurking stuff in you. (laughs) It's like, well, have nothing to do with sexual immorality or impurities or lust or evil desires. Don't be greedy. A greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now the time is get rid of anger. Get rid of your rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all the wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator And become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Verse 12. Since God chose you, I like that, chose you to be a holy people that he loves, you must, it's not optional, you must clothe yourselves with tender Hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness. Oh, Lord. Patience. That's in there. Verse 13. Make allowances for each other's faults. Oh, man. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. There we are again. Perfect harmony, unity, forgiveness, allowances. That's a powerful scripture right there. The Lord loves it. In fact, he commands the blessing when we forgive and we overcome each other's stuff by just, you know what, I'm not going to focus on your mess you, you may think you're perfect, but I got news, we're not. <laughs> and so, all right, looks past the differences. Let's look at another scripture. Turn with me to John 17. Jesus' prayer just before he leaves, praying to the Father, and he says, 
this is amazing scripture. This, this whole one is about, Father, you and I are one, but I want to pick up on verse 20. John 17, 20, Jesus again is saying, I'm praying for you, disciples, but I'm not only praying for the disciples that are here now, I'm praying for everyone that will ever believe in me through the message. So that's us. If you're a believer, that's you. Jesus says, I'm praying for you. Why? What is he praying? I pray that you will be one, just as you and I are one. Now, interesting, this scripture, it doesn't say, I'm praying that you'll become one. He prays that you will be one. Now, the English teachers in the room, they're going to like this. This is a present subjunctive. I had to look that up. It's a present subjunctive. What it designates, it's an ongoing action to continually be one. So that means every day you got to get up and it says, Jesus is saying, I want you to be one with one another and with me. I and the Father, me and the Father, you and me and I and you. There's, a con- there's this continual oneness with God. And he, sa- he says, look, I'm going to pray for you, all the believers that will ever come as a result of what the disciples now know. I'm going to pray that they'll become one. Why? Because he understands the power of unity. He understands that oneness, the oneness with the Father. Remember, Jesus was obedient unto death. There we go again. Jesus was in agreement with his Father. Remember in the garden when he says, three times he tried to talk his dad out of, I don't want to go here. I don't want to do this. I know what this is. He was God. He had the revelation of everything. But he said, Lord, is there another way? Can you let the cup pass? The Father said, no. Three times said, no. He said, nevertheless, so Jesus was obedient unto death. It says he enjoyed or embraced the cross for the joy, which is you and I, that was set before him. So again, we see this unity of the oneness of the Father and the Son. And he's saying, now I invite you to come and be one with me. And you one in, together as a body of believers, this power and this unity. Well, let's look at, a, let's look at another negative. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see both the positive and the negative of unity and disunity. Now, I'm, I'm so glad Paul talked to the Corinthian church because they were always in trouble. They were the, like the bad church, bad guys. You're, you're not getting it right. But we learn a lot from that process. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters. So Paul, the first deal, he says, he, he gives him this intro, the first nine verses, he says, we're one in Christ to keep you strong. And, and now he goes, now I gotta talk to you guys. Brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, live in harmony with each other. Let no division be in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in one purpose. For some members of Chloe's house have told me, you're quarreling. One says that I belong to Paul. Another one says I belong to Apollo. Another one says I belong to Peter. Another one says, well, I'm of the, I belong to Christ. He says, well, Jesus divided into fractions or factions. He goes on and says, you know what? This is just foolishness. This is foolish nonsense. And it's, he tells him, he says, look, we got to stop all the division. Chapter 3, they didn't get it through chapter 2. So he picks up the same theme again in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians 
He says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as spiritual people. I still had to talk to you like you were a bunch of infants, baby Christians. I had to feed you with milk, not solid food. Why? You're still not ready, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another. You're controlled. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're still sinful and worldly? Not a very uplifting <laughs> series of encouragement. So what he's saying is, guys, grow up. He's basically saying, grow up. Let's, let's grow up in the church here, and let's stop with the fractions and the, fact, the dividing of stuff. Now, I realize there's legitimate things we bar- battle over. I won't have us turn there. I've got eight minutes. I want to just pick up, but there's a couple of scriptures. You might want to jot these down in the margin. Take a look at it. Titus 3.10. Romans 16, 17, and Jude 19. Titus 3, 10, Romans 16, 17, and Jude 19. Paul deals with this. The book of Titus is all about leadership in the church. How do you raise up leaders and elders in the church? And gives the boundaries of that. And, and it says, if people are causing division within the church, give them two warnings and then have nothing to do with them. Same is true in Romans 16, 17, and in Jude 19. It's an interesting scripture. Well, that doesn't sound very loving. You know, if people have different... No, but he's, that word division is a really, really strong language. There are those that are sowing discord, and it could be they're preaching the wrong doctrine, they're causing uh, separation. You know, I, I follow this pastor, I follow this pastor, I follow this, I follow... And he's saying, you know what? If you're causing division... The leadership of the church, warn them once, warn them twice, and then kick them out. That's pretty strong language. Why? Because he under, they understand, or at least Paul understood, the division that happens can really divide not only a church, the family, a business. Think about your business leaders. If you've got dissension in the, or the government, where the, the, the example I used before with what's going on currently at the highest levels. Division is extremely powerful, and it causes us to become divided, which then causes us not to have a blessing. That doesn't mean that we agree with everything. There has to be righteous judgments made, but when it is a righteous judgment, then it says, line up, get over your stuff, look over your own faults in humility, and forgive others. Make allowances for their faults. Let's look at one more positive. You don't have to turn there, but jot this one down. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 12. In 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 12, again, because of the obedience of the tribe of Judah, here's what the Lord says. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 12, he says, the hand of the Lord was on Judah to give them singleness of heart. The hand of God so looked on the favor of their obedience as a tribe of Judah, he gave them a heart that was single towards each other. See the blessing of the Lord in that? And so, as we kind of unpack, first of all, think of it as at the family level. If you're not in unity with your children, trying to develop, and I realize if you're raising teenagers, good Lord, I've, I've done that. I just tell people, just Get them through it, Lord. Get, them, get, them, get me through it. You know, like saying, all our children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be their peace. 
and hurry up, Lord, so I can get some too. Right? Right? I'm just being real. It's like if in that disuse. So that's why as parents we struggle to sit down and, and, and get in agreement or at least some bridge between agreement in that quality time, that connection, sowing into relationship and family. We don't have to agree on everything. We can actually agree to disagree. Um, there are those that come in and, well, once saved, always saved. And here's all the scriptures. And then the guys on the well, no, you can lose your salvation. Here's the scriptures. Which one is it, pastors? Well, this scripture's on both sides. I can argue both of it. So why don't we agree to disagree and let's figure out how far away from the edge we can get instead of figuring out how close to the edge before I fall off into sin. That'd be a smarter way to look at this, right? Why do you think there's tension in the scriptures? Because there's tension in the scriptures. It's like, wow, God, I don't know. How to figure that one out. If you figure out God, then you're God, and he's not. That's not the way it works. So we want to pick up on the fact that unity in families, unity in business, unity in our government, that's a good thing to pray. If the Lord commands a blessing when brethren dwell together in unity, there's a reason Second Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people, remember, two or three of you come together, that's what I believe, I'm going to show myself, but this past election, they say that the evangelicals were very key in this. How many came together? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Right? So there's something about power where the people of God dwell together in unity for purpose. And they pray and they come together. God says, I hear it, I see it, and now I'll heal it. So I'd like you to pray as the next few weeks go on. We're going to take a team to Nepal and India on the 1st of March. There's 10 of us heading out. In fact, that team that's here this morning, we're meeting tonight at 6 o'clock at Pastor Willie's. Don't, don't forget y'all, right? And so it'll be our last meeting before we go. We're praying for our final visas we got, we got our Nepal visas, we got our uh, India visas, but waiting on the Chinese visas, a couple of the visa pictures got kicked back due to not having the right pixels. We worked all day the other day on that. My wife and I got to figure, I think we're good, right? We're waiting? All right. What's the point? We're going to go as a body of believers with your blessing and the elders board's blessing. Go to these nations where you have been sowing. You just saw it. You just saw 19.63%, a large portion of that goes to raising up children and churches. The 45 churches that were planted in Nepal last year, the 20-some-odd churches that were planted in India, the year before the 25 churches were now at 206 total Global River churches. That sowing of that, that mission focus, we're going as a group to go there to impart values and principles. We will tell those leaders, we're going to lay hands on those leaders. This is the Apostle Paul going on the missionary journey to encourage the churches, to lay hands on the believers, to speak truth over them, to put boundaries on. You can't behave like this, you must behave like this. If you behave like this and cause division, you're out. If you lie, cheat, or steal, or immoral, you're out. But this is the proof. But if you're in, we're in together, and let's take nations. That's the principle that's behind the power of agreement. It starts with we're invited in, 
We come under the, the agreement of our elder board that says, yes, this is a worthy resource. Go, make disciples there. And we go with the blessing. When we go with Randy Clark or Bill Johnson or Heidi, we go into a nation, you have an apostolic leader invited in by the apostolic leaders of that nation. We come under that blessing and their flow. And then we come and what happens? God pours out a commanded blessing. And then you and I, the ones who have given our tithes and offerings to bring that, says we tithe on that. That, that. that child, right now I have three of our girls, they're in Delhi right now. Our leaders from, from Nepal are in Delhi graduating three of our girls from, they're getting their bachelor's in theology. That is very unusual in this culture where women are not given a whole lot of notice. Now you have our ladies who can match theologically with a lot of the men in the nation. Some of them are bilingual. They're powerful. So right now we're in the midst. We've sewn in since they were four years old in the orphanage. And now they're graduating from college. What is God going to do with that? They become the salt and light of a nation being birthed for Christ. Ask of me, Psalm 2, ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Every time you sow in that place, and one of those little kids gets their food, gets their, their uniforms, gets their books, you should see their rooms all organized, their little book, they are so disciplined in their approach, right? And they, they, they sit there and they thank us. But the reality is, God looks. He says, when you give to the poor, I will be a debtor to no man. And that, re that replenished blessing of the commanded comes back. Pastor Kenny shared it in Psalm 3. We get to <laughs> give and see. I could share another scripture out of Matthew or Luke that says, don't store up your treasure on earth where your moth and rust corrupts, but put your treasure in heaven Amen. where they can't be corrupted because where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. This is such a powerful revelation that Jesus wanted us to get. So let's stand to our feet. Just Let's just close our eyes for a moment and Lord, first, would you show us who we need to forgive? If there's any, not everybody will accept your forgiveness. But as you give it, then you leave it. Doesn't mean we're going to go out to dinner with everybody. <laughs> we don't have to continue to have abuse and brokenness put on us. In fact, that's what he says. If it's causing division among you, then have nothing to do with them. You can put a boundary up that protects you, your family, your relationships. That's legitimate. But as we give of our hearts to forgive and try to overlook the faults that others have, in the midst of that, forgiveness and a desire for unity, there will be those that will come in agreement that we can look past our differences, come into agreement, and the Lord will then command the harmony. In fact, that word harmony in the Greek, Lord, I pray that you'd release it. it means symphoneo, some coming together, phoneo, sound. The agreement, the symphony of oneness coming together 
making a single sound, all playing the same notes. God, I pray that that blessing over the families that are represented here, those that are strained in relationships, those who've been battling, trying to understand where's my boundary? How do I do this? How do I love in the midst of the, what seems to be confusion and chaos? I ask for a great revelation of wisdom there to know where the boundaries are, to know when it's allowed and what's not allowed, which you allow on earth. But at the same time, God, I pray for healing in those relationships. Those that are struggling with sin or addiction or confusion or chaos or anger or resentment or bitterness from the past or broken, Lord, that you would bring healing into those places so that unity can flow. It's not unity at any cost. It's... Lord, I pray, it's like the conflict going on in Israel and the Palestinians. It's not a, it's not a peace at any cost. No, there's an, there has to be an agreement. And then you can command a blessing in the midst of the agreement. So God, I pray for that wisdom over our families. Lord, over our government right now, that, Lord, you'd bring supernatural revelation and peace, righteousness first, and all the conflicting parts of immigration and unity and disunity and threats and God, I pray for tremendous supernatural revelation and then the wisdom that our leaders will come together for the purpose of your goodness. Lord, I pray for our churches, all the denominations and all the separation that's caused brokenness over the years. It's not a testimony. So, Lord, I pray for a unifying presence for all the city ministries, parachurch organizations, all those different organizations doing such amazing, graceful things in our city. Lord, I pray, and I thank you. I want to thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. Lord, all the giving, all the outreaches that happened from L.A. to Dunn to Lumberton to Massachusetts for Lifeline Pregnancy, for Mayaz in Israel, for Elliot Tepper to those in Spain and throughout 20 nations of the world, those ministries that help the prostitutes and the drug addicts, the halfway houses. God, where does it stop? There's just so much to, to thank you for all the amazing grace you've poured out, that we could be a light. God, help us to be a light in the midst of dark places. But do it in a place of unity among us that you can command that blessing to flow. And so as we come together, Lord, now, and we thank you, I ask your grace to flow over your people, that you'd make your face to shine upon them and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen.